growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. We've done some great things. I hope we're doing some great things. I hope we're making an impact and making differences in people's lives. But I don't know that we are a great church yet. We want to be a better church than, uh, than even what we are. What makes a great church? Is it the music? Is it the children's program or the preaching? Or is it something else? There will always be the presence of the supernatural catalyst. That's part of what the Holy Spirit accomplishes in our life. In a great church, there's a recognition of the Savior's calling. Last one. In a great church, there's an anticipation of the second coming. Yeah! Second coming. That's what I'm talking about right there. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Last week we kicked off a brand new series here at Cross Culture Church entitled Making the Grade as a Great Church. In a great church there is the presence of the supernatural catalyst, the Holy Spirit, who empowers the church to accomplish great things for the glory of God. Well today Pastor Clay is picking up where he left off last week in Acts chapter 1, looking at two more important pieces in the making of a great church. Now here's Pastor Clay. Last week kicked off a brand new series entitled Making the Grade as a Great Church. And we're aiming for straight C's. Everybody do that. Doesn't mean anything. I just want to see if y'all would do it. So. Aiming for straight C's. We're aiming for straight C's. And uh, it, it, obviously what's going to happen as we're looking at some of these things is that each one of these uh, components that I'm saying should be a part of a great church, they're going to begin with the letter. Yeah, see, y'all are a sharp bunch. Uh, so we're aiming for straight C's around here. Um, your parents, if you're, if you're in school, your parents might not settle for that for you when you go to school. But around here, we're, we're aiming for straight C's. What makes a great church? What does make a great church? Is it, is it because the people are really uh, friendly or they serve coffee or they... Uh, what makes a great church? Well, uh, in the end... You know what? It really doesn't matter what you think makes a great church or what I think makes a great church. It only matters what God thinks makes a great church. And that's why we're looking in the book of Acts. And this week, last week and this week, we are in Acts chapter 1. If you brought a copy of God's Word, you can open it there. Uh, the text will also be up on the screen. Maybe you have a, uh, maybe you have a uh, Bible app on your phone. Maybe you have, by the way, I found this, you know, I'm such a techie guy. I found this uh, app this past week. Uh, and y'all are like, yeah. Uh, duh, but I found this app that will, uh, that will translate into other languages. I can just speak to it, whatever I want to say, and it'll, it'll say it. And so that's uh, kind of cool. I thought that was kind of cool. See, and I were at the, the Asian market off on uh, uh, Buck Jones Road the other day because uh, she had to get, she was going to want to fix a family meal and she was going to fix sushi and that kind of stuff. And so, so she needed some stuff uh, to do that. And uh, so it's like, wait, I've got that app because there aren't aren't many English-speaking people in the Asian market. They're just not. It's just almost all Asian people. And most of them don't speak English. I mean, even the people that that work there. And so Shane's trying to find, um, uh, yeah, yeah, fish roe. And, and, but, you know, you can't find that. It's not, you know, if it's labeled, it's in some foreign language. (laughs) And so I, I, I found Chinese and where do you find fish rope? And it's, it's and so I was like, here you go. Just carry this over to that guy, and uh, and he'll be able to. I just thought that was pretty neat that they got got that app. That's really good. 
So maybe you have a phone app that has the, the Bible on there. Uh, Bible Gateway is a good one. If you're looking for one, Bible Gateway is a good one. You look that one up. Uh, there are several, uh, by the way, uh, to choose from. Uversion is another really good one. Take advantage of those. Uh, use them whenever you can. So uh, we're, we're, we're about five weeks or so. We're just looking at this idea of what makes a great church. And I challenged us to consider the fact that we are not a great church. We've done some great things. I hope we're doing some great things. I hope we're making an impact and making differences in people's lives. But I don't know that we are a great church yet. And if you are here last week, you may remember that I mentioned that's not necessarily dictated by the size of the church. As I said last week, uh, bigger isn't necessarily better. Better is better. We want to be a better church than, uh, than even what we are. So we started last week uh, in the book of Acts, uh, and I, I read verses 1 through 14. This morning, uh, for expediency's sake, I'm just going to read uh, verses 8 through 14, because we'll be p- picking it up from there. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 8 uh, this morning, the text says, uh, but, and this is Jesus speaking, he's just about to go back to heaven, he's, he's, he's been to the cross, he's uh, come up out of the grave, he spent some time with the disciples, and now he's just about to go back to heaven. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, and all Judea, and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. When they had returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. God, again, uh, today I just pray that you would take your word and uh, do surgery on each of our hearts and lives. Each person in this room or watching or listening to this message has their own particular set of circumstances, their own stuff that they're in or their experiences. Some of it may be good right now. Some of it may be absolutely terrible right now. Some of it may be making their head spin. But God, through all of it, I'm asking that you take your word and make application right here, right now in each of our lives. Your word, Lord God, according to the writer of Hebrews, is quick and alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's able to divide soul and spirit and even joint and marrow. And so you are the great physician, so take your scalpel, Lord God, and surgically remove from our lives what doesn't belong. Maybe right now in this room, somebody's thinking of something that they know in their life that shouldn't be there. May you use your word to surgically cut it out of our lives, Lord God, with the conviction of your spirit. And may you, Lord God, sow into our lives as the great physician what should be there, what our hearts should be like, what our minds should be focused on, so that when we leave here, we'll leave here knowing we've worshipped you, we've glorified you, we've tried to honor you with our service, with our worship, but also in our attentiveness to your word, Lord God, that we would leave here changed. I guess it's what I want every time we join together, that, that we change a little bit more 
your will be done. God, that's what I always want. In Christ's strong name, amen, amen, and amen. Last week, we started with this idea, and just to bring you back up to speed and remind you of it, in a great church, there is the presence of the supernatural catalyst. Uh, He says, you shall receive, what was that word? Power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so I said that that is a characteristic of a great church. There will always be the presence of the supernatural catalyst. And last week we defined what a catalyst is, that it, it's, a, it's a, a, a change maker, someone that brings significant or something that brings significant change. And that's part of the, what the Holy Spirit accomplishes in our life. He comes and he brings significant change into our lives where we need a change in our lives. And I don't know about you, but I, I need change in my life in different places, different areas, different ways of thinking or all that kind of stuff. And so uh, individually, those of us who are part of the body of Christ individually, and then collectively, as we are the, the church gathered, there will be this presence of the supernatural catalyst. And I gave you a bunch of scripture verses last week, uh, but I did not give you one that I just wanted to add to it and we'll, we'll say some things about it and then we'll move on. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says... And do not get drunk uh, with wine. In the context, it's not about alcohol and that thing. He's using actually alcohol or drunkenness as an example of the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. That's that's an old term, but it basically means it's it's not going to end well. It's not going to work out well. It's not going to do good. It's not going to lead you into doing positive things. And it's going to be a waste of a lot of stuff. Uh, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But, he says, be filled with the Spirit. So, Paul's using drunkenness as an example here. He's saying, hey, have y'all ever seen anybody under the influence of alcohol? I mean, like, really under the influence of alcohol? Y'all ever? Come on. Come on. Some of us have been that guy. You know what I'm saying? You understand? Okay. And and what what does, when, when you're under the influence of alcohol... Right when you're, I mean, and when you're drunk, however you want to define that or whatever, but but you've seen the results of it, right? You've seen what it does to a person. It, it's like it's like it can take the most timid, mild-mannered guy, and suddenly he wants to he wants to fight a telephone post, man. He he's looking to fight anybody or anything that moves. It can take the the toughest, you know, gym rat, pumped up guy, and turn him into the biggest crybaby in the world. He's like, oh. It can take the most uh, prim and proper and elegant lady and turn her into somebody jumping up and dancing on tabletops. I've heard. <laughs> that's, what, that's, what, that's what drunkenness... That Paul says, don't, don't do that. Listen, that is not, that's not good for you. It, it's not going to go well. But in that same way that, that alcohol can control a person, he says, hey, what if you let the Holy Spirit control you in that way? In the same way that, that drunkenness will turn you into a person that hopefully you don't want to be, why not let the Holy Spirit turn you into a person he wants you to be and hopefully that you want to be? So there, there has to be this, this presence of, of the Spirit working in our lives. But, uh, and I talked about this extensively last week, but I wanted to give you this little statement here in case you want to tweet it, just in case. The Spirit is present in the life of a local body of believers, not because of emotion, but because of devotion. Okay, it's, it's, not by, and it's not about how much we can work ourselves up into a lather or jump a pew or... I'm, I'm 
God bless them, it's fine. I'm just saying that's not what is evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's not what it is. It is devotion, not emotion. Emotion's fine. Emotion's a part of our worship and who we are in our relationship with, with God. God gave, but, but, it, but evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit is devotion to him. Uh, Jesus uh, said this uh, in Matthew chapter 18. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. Now, obviously, he wasn't talking about physically in their presence because he, he, was, he was going back to heaven. He was talking about the Spirit of God. That when two or three are gathered, how? Say it. In my name. When they're gathered in my name. Devotion. That's where I'm, that's where I'm with them. Okay, so, so uh, there has to be this presence of the supernatural catalyst, the Holy Spirit working our lives. If we want that to happen... Individually, man, I, I, want, I want the Spirit of God to move in my life. I want to see His power. I want to evidence His power. Or we want to see it collectively as a church. And I want to see the power of the Spirit of God just moving and people's lives being changed and, and all that. If we want to see that, just a couple things that, I, that I've added to my message that I want to give you this week before we move on to the last two. First one is this, holy living. It's a prerequisite. It, it's, it's holy living. It's this idea, holy basically means to be set apart. Now listen to me, set apart, not, not in our presence. In other words, it's not about, well, I've got to separate myself from them, them people acting like a bunch of fools. I've got to separate myself. Them people are doing, uh, they're, they're the worldly. I can't be, not, not in presence, but in practice. In, in other words, um, th- there are expectations. There are standards that God has set for our lives that, hey, hey that, that's how you used to be before you came to know me, but, but I've got, I got a better way of life for you. And so it, it means... It, it means holy. It, it means what it says, and I can I could point you to a dozen scriptures this morning if you want to come up to me afterwards and say, well, why why can't I just live my life the way I want to? That's exactly right. It's not your life. It's not your life. First Corinthians chapter six, the Apostle Paul says this: You should know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you. You have received the Holy Spirit from God, so you do not belong to yourselves. Because you were bought by God for a price. So, so what you do? Honor God with your body. That's holy living. God, I'm going to live my life the way you want me to live. Now listen to me. If you're, if you're uh, single and uh, of age to be sexually active, that means not being sexually active until you're married. That's just what it means. If you're, if you're married and you're saying, oh my God. Goodness, I, I really want to either murder my husband or divorce him, one or the other. It means I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stay in this. I'm going to work it. On and on. Every, every example, so many things you can use. But it, just, it means what it says. It's like, God, I don't belong to myself. I belong to you. You bought me with a price. How do you want me to live my life? What do you want me to do with my life? There's a novel idea. Some of you getting ready to go to college. Do you ever stop and think, well, man, I, my counselor says this. My parents really want me to do this. I'm thinking about this because I, I, I could certainly make the most money in a career like that. Do you ever stop and just think, God, what would you like to do with my life? Where would you like to send me? What would you like me to accomplish? Uh, it's a novel idea. I, and I'll tell you this. I wish I would, was thinking that way when I was 18 years old or 17 or 15 or 25 or Okay, holy living. And the second one uh, is this, holy giving. Not your money, relax. <laughs> that, honestly, if you get the idea of this, then your money's at least, a, uh, giving your money is at least a worries. 
No, holy giving. Holy giving my life to him. That's what it, that's what it means. If I want to experience the, the Holy Spirit's power in my life, I, I can't, it's, it's, it's all or nothing. You understand what I'm saying? Here's the way the Word of God uh, puts it in uh, Galatians chapter 2. I, I have been crucified with Christ. I've been put to death. And in other words, he, now he's still alive when he writes that, but he's saying, I'm thinking myself as, it's just the same as I've been put to death. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. Come on, say it with me. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So Paul says, there it is. There's our lives. I, I don't even, I'm, I'm bought with a price. I don't even belong to myself anymore. As a matter of fact, I'm just considering myself dead. As far as my wants or my expectations or my thoughts or my whatever. God, you take my life. I'm wholly, wholly, completely giving it to you. Now, if you're here and, you're, and you would say, ah, geez, hmm, I, uh, no. I, I just, I don't think I want to give him all of my life. And I'll just be perfectly honest with you. You will never experience the, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit really working in your life. You'll never see it uh, as long as that, yeah, that idea. And, and I, I'm, I just say this to you, you might seriously uh, question if you have a proper understanding of what it means to, to be saved, to give your life to Jesus Christ. Because it, it's, it's not this, oh, I just believe, it's this surrender of my life. A relationship with Jesus Christ is, is not a negotiation. It's a surrender of all that I am. Ho- holy living, holy giving. God, I, I, just, I just give it all to you. And then if we do that, if we, we're at least in place. We're in place for the Holy Spirit, then this catalyst to work and move in our lives. In your marriage, in your home, in your relationships, in your, in your dating, in, in your workplace, in, in your church. To see the Spirit of God moving that's a couple prerequisites just have to be there so but if he's there if there's a presence of the supernatural catalyst then you can that that's just you can expect to see his power in and move that'll make a great church here's the second idea this morning for a great church in a great church there's a recognition of the savior's calling now let's uh, i read it a moment ago but let's read it again just that latter part of verse eight just in case uh, we might have forgotten it and you so that the spirit, this power comes upon you, and you shall be my, is that next word? Witnesses. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Doesn't really sound like a suggestion, does it? This, this verse, Acts 1-8, along with Matthew 28, are, they're, they're not known as the great suggestion. They're known as the great commission. To be commissioned to do something is to be commanded to do something. And you shall be my witnesses. Witnesses is a big word. It's, it's an important word in the, in the book of Acts. I think it's something like 20, 29 times it's used as a noun or a verb. Is it 29? 29 times it's used as a, yeah, as a, either a noun or a verb in the book of Acts. To be a witness to something is, is, is someone who has experienced something. In a court of law, a judge is not interested in what, what you think or what you hope or what you kind of feel like. He's, he or she is only interested in what you know, what you have experienced. And you shall be my witness. You shall testify of who I am and what I have done. This is, a, this is an absolute mandate for a great church is that we recognize our calling. We're called. Not some of us, not a few of us, not just the ones that are paid on staff, not just the ones who serve as elders or life group leaders. 
all of us who would profess a relationship with Jesus Christ, and only, only each of you know where you are in that, but all of us who would profess a relationship with Jesus Christ have this calling, and it is to take the message of Christ to our world. Some of you have, uh, some of you never heard me uh, talk about Mr. Davis. It's been a long time since I talked about Mr. Davis. I knew Mr. Davis, Cindy and I knew Mr. Davis when I was on staff at a church in Atlanta uh, many years ago. I was going to college. Uh, Mr. Davis, uh, he, he was not an educated man. He was, in his, he was in his early 80s when I knew him. Mr. Davis was not an educated man. He had this heavy southern Georgia accent that could make it kind of hard to understand what he was saying, especially when he didn't have his teeth in, which was most of the time. Uh, Mr. Davis uh, was not a uh, wealthy man. He lived on a very meager income, wore the same clothes day in and day out. Best I can remember in the years that I was there, I, I never, I saw, we saw Mr. Davis every Sunday in the exact same old, quite honestly, dirty, stained, blue pinstripe suit every Sunday. He wasn't in good health. You had to talk kind of loud to him. He didn't see very well. He had some sort of problem with his, with his feet, with, particularly with his toes. And so he would, he would cut the tops of his shoes out. He would just cut them like with knife or scissors or something. He would cut his shoes out because somehow that brought some relief uh, to his toes. You could always tell when there was new people in church because they would, they would see him and say, oh, look at that poor man. His shoes are so bad. And they would, they would invariably go out and buy him a pair of shoes. And uh, the, ne- the next time they would see him, he'd have on the brand new shoes all cut to pieces. And they're like, man, I was just... You always uh, knew that one of the, the primary things about Mr. Davis was he loved telling people about Jesus. He loved for people to know about Jesus. He used to have these signs all in his yard, you know, yard signs, big signs, small signs, and they would all have these different scripture verses on, on, all over his yard about how to be saved or what it meant to have a relationship with God or something like that. You always knew when Mr. Davis was coming down the road because his, he had this and some of us that, that lived through the 70s, remember, had this gigantic uh, Chevrolet Caprice. And, uh, he, and on top of this gigantic Chevrolet Caprice, he had this gigantic four-by-eight sheet of plywood uh, sign mounted to the top of his, his uh, old faded blue Chevrolet Caprice. And on that sign, he, he had these words. He says uh, in uh, Romans chapter uh, 10, he had, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Why? For with the heart man believes this, this true conviction, this true under, biblical understanding of belief. Not just this, oh yeah, I, I believe in God. No, with the heart. And that interesting says that with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Just drove all over town. That sign. Now I'm sure that that uh, sign did not help that old Caprice's uh, fuel mileage. But I, 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 don't, I just don't think Mr. Davis cared. He just, he, he used to say, somebody might read that sign and get saved. That's uh, silly, I guess, huh? Now, Mr. Davis, Mr. Davis didn't work anymore. Uh, and like I say, he lived on a very meager income. He, he, didn't, he didn't have a job anymore, but let me tell you about his calling. Early 80s, cut-out shoes, old clothes, Old car, couldn't hear, couldn't see, feet hurt. Every day, Monday through Saturday, six days a week, six days a week, 
Mr. Davis would get in that old faded out blue Chevrolet Caprice and he would drive up to Hartsfield International Airport and he would pay to park and he would get out of his car and he'd walk into the to the airport terminal there to a designated place where he was allowed to be and he would just stand there for hours and hours with a sign around his neck. If you confess, or I'm sorry, with a sign around his neck from uh, Acts chapter 2, and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just stand there. Because Mr. Davis wasn't allowed to talk to anybody. You know, you can't talk to anybody. Yes, you can be here. You stand there, and he would stand there with his hurting feet and his low income. And he would stand there and with his sign hung around his neck for hours. And he did it for years and years and years. Mr. Davis uh, told me that, as far as he knew, in the probably millions of people that had passed by him in the years he'd been doing that, that he only knew of two people that had ever stopped because somebody stopped and asked, other people had stopped, but he only knew of two that had stopped and, and he'd had an opportunity to lead them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. He couldn't talk to people, but if they stopped and asked him a question, he could give them some material on how to be saved or something like that. But he only knew, in all the years he'd done it, the millions of people, he only knew of two people that had received Christ as their Savior. But it didn't matter to Mr. Davis. He, he just knew he was called. He just knew he was called to go. It wasn't, it, it, sure, he wanted to see people saved, but it wasn't, it wasn't about the results. It was about the calling. It was about doing what God asked him to do. As you can imagine, Mr. Davis has long since passed away. He's not around anymore. He doesn't go to Hartfield. He's, he's, he's passed on. Uh, but uh, as I've told many people, and I've told this story uh, before, that it is, it is my uh, sincere hope that when men, Mr. Davis took his last breath and he stepped across uh, that, uh, that river uh, into eternity and he showed up at the, the gates of heaven, the gates of eternity, whatever all that's going to be, whatever that's going to look like, uh, that I just, I just want to believe that there was a sign waiting there for Mr. Davis when he got there. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will make you ruler of much. Enter in to the joy of your master. Matthew 25, 21. It's the calling. You understand? It's the calling. And you and I are called to present the good news of Jesus Christ. You notice the, uh, uh, the, 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 the way it's laid out there in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. You know, that, that's God's way of simply saying, hey, don't get comfortable. Don't, don't stay where you are. Don't think that this, uh, you're, you're, you're called to go and, and you're going to go everywhere. Uh, we have, actually have a paraphrase of it here at Cross Culture Church uh, of that, Acts, that latter part of Acts 1-8 where basically we just say that uh, you will share my story here, there, and everywhere. What do you mean? I'm just, I'm just going to look for ways to share the story of what God has done in my life. It's a calling. Hey, folks, let me just remind you of this. A river, a flowing river, purifies itself. A swamp has no outlet. It takes in. It doesn't take out. It doesn't, it doesn't let out. The Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because nothing can live in it. Did you know that fish can only live right at the very mouth of where the Jordan enters into the Dead Sea? That's the only place where fish can live. If they, if they stray more than a few feet beyond the, the mouth of the river, they'll die. Because, because the Dead Sea takes in all the minerals, the salts and all the other minerals uh, that flow down in, from the Jordan River into the Dead Sea. But it doesn't go anywhere. It just stays there. And hence the name, the Dead Sea. And our lives can become dull and insensitive and in a, and in a sense, real sense, dead. 
When we only take in, oh man, worship was awesome today. Hey, preaching, eh, but it was, you know, it was okay. But the, the word of God, I'm taking it into my study and I'm doing all this. If we just take in and take in and take in and take in, that's not we, we, we weren't created, ladies and gentlemen, to be reservoirs. We were created to be conduits or channels through which this message flows. It's a calling. And every one of us are called. As a church, you want to be a great church? We got to go. All right, here we go. Last one this morning. Let me jump to it. In a great church, there is an anticipation of the second coming. Yeah! Second coming. That's what I'm talking about right there. Gonna get a little something. What did I say last week? Baptocostal. Get a little Baptocostal on that one, man. Second coming. All right, let's read it. Verse 9 through 11 real quick. Here we go. Uh, And after he'd said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on. And a cloud received him out of their sight. So there goes Jesus. He's going up to heaven, right? His physical, literal body is ascending up into heaven. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going. Wow, look at that. There goes Jesus. That's awesome. That's amazing. While he was going, behold, two men in white clothing, apparently angels, stood beside them. And they also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way you have watched him go into heaven. There it is. Hey, hey, hey men of Galilee. It must have been, a com- I think, in some sense, a comical scene. Like I said, they're all, they're all standing around like, wow, that's awesome. Amazing. That's unbelievable. That's fantastic. That's better than the latest Star Wars movie. It's, in- it's incredible. And at some point, one of them are like, wow, wow. And who's this dude? Who are these dudes standing beside us? <laughs> so that'd be, and they say, hey, guys, guys, what, 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 are, what are you doing? What are you watching Jesus go for? You, you think that's good? Wait for the return trip. He's coming back. The same Jesus whom you've seen go shall come again in like manner. Uh, now, didn't he give you a job to do? Get busy. And they walk down off that hill and they change the world. They changed the world. Listen to me. Think about this. Without any means of modern communication, without the telephone, without the internet, without Facebook, without Twitter or Instagram, without cars or planes or trains, without any means of modern communication, they took the gospel to the entire known world within roughly 100 years. Why? What could have possibly motivated them to do that, considering the fact that virtually every single one of them would lose virtually everything they had as a result of what they were going to do, including their lives? Why in the world would they do that? What could possibly be their motivation? Oh, I don't know. Jesus is coming back? There's one for you. Listen to me. That, that, that's it. That's it. It's not, it's not the only one. I'm saying it's not the only one. But a church that it's lost the priority of, of a focus on the return of Christ has lost its focus of what, of, or its motivation, lost its motivation for taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. To be willing to share because I'm motivated by the very fact that, man, I know he's coming back. And I, and I don't know when he's coming back, but I, I know when he comes back, I want him to find me busy. I don't, I don't want him to, I don't want to have to say to Jesus, and, I, and I'm speaking this even as, as the pastor of the church, I don't want to have to say to Jesus that, that there were people that we could have reached and we didn't because it was going to be too expensive or it was going to be a little logistically uh, difficult or, God help us, worst of all, we, we just really didn't have the time. See, our motivation is he's coming back. Why, why wouldn't I want to do this? Why wouldn't I want to? 
I was too young to remember this, but I've seen the footage of it. And most of you have too. When the Beatles came to America for the first time, crazy. Crazy. I mean, when, if you go look at the footage, news footage and stuff, like when they land at the airport, or when they're, they're getting ready to go on the Ed Sullivan show, and all that. I mean, the, absolute, the, the anticipation of their coming was unbelievable. I mean, the, the, they're bust, literally, they're busting down the fences. So many people there screaming, uh, just going crazy, out of their heads, screaming crazy, because the, the Fab Four has landed. Hey, and they're a very talented group, and some of their music is, was insanely timeless. It still sounds good today. But they didn't die for your sins. Anticipation. Man, Jesus coming back. I better get up out of this bed and go try and find somebody I can share Christ with today in some way, some word, some, and I might cause something to say, hey, man, I, I, I just want you to know about God. I want you to know what he means in my life and what he's done. And you don't force it on people, right? Just say, if you ever want to hear it, I'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe that's what something you say to a coworker. I'd just love to talk to you about that if you'd love to. And you leave it at that. But there's this motivation for the fact that he is coming back someday. A great church will, will, will live in that motivation. They'll keep that in, in their minds. It, it's, it's bad right now, or this is rough, or this is not going the way I thought, or this is whatever. But Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back someday. Now listen, let me say this to you, and we've we got to wrap this thing up. I think part of the reason why the, the church... The early church was so effective at this in the first century. It's because when those angels stood there and said, Hey, the same Jesus whom you've seen go shall come again in like manner. They're like, okay, next Tuesday, he probably going to be here. Certainly by, certainly by Friday, he'll be here by Friday. And so, bam, they just went everywhere. And they didn't care what it cost. They didn't think about the cost. Why should they? Jesus is coming back. Well, I, don't, I don't care. They're, oh, they're taking my home? Pfft. Got a bigger one waiting for me in heaven. Oh, they're going to kill my body? Pfft. Got a better one. Waiting for me. I hope it's better. Anyway, anyway, so, no. You understand what I'm saying? It's just like that. And so, and so they really believe it. Now, here's the problem for us. It's been 2,000 years. It's been 2,000 years. It's like, ah, yeah, yeah, we hear you, preacher. Yeah, Jesus is coming back. Yeah, he's coming back. But he's coming back. <laughs> that ought to be the motivation to say, I, I, I got to go, man. I got I to gotta, I gotta get involved. I got to get in the game. I got to get in the game. I can't sit on the sidelines and just act like this doesn't matter. Because that person I work with that you can't stand, they're going to hell without Jesus Christ. And if your first thought is, good, they deserve it. Well, you better get in line in front of them because you deserve it as much as they do. And so do I. That neighbor that doesn't want to have anything to do with Jesus, that family member that thinks you've gone loony because you go down to that church all the time, they're going to spend eternity somewhere. They are. That's, that's, that's just... And so are we going to care enough? Are we going to be motivated by the fact that, that and I just, I, I, I've heard lots of preachers in my day say this. I'm going to say it anyway. I just think we're close. I, I honestly, I, in, in my genuine, authentic feeling is I believe we're close to the return of Jesus Christ. There's just too much craziness going on uh, and too much lining up with Scripture that would make me think that it can't, that could go much longer. Now, much, what's much longer to God? I'll leave that in his capable hands. But I'm just saying it ought to motivate us. Say, man, I got to go, got to go, got to go, got to do it, got to share, got to give, got to do whatever. All right, here we go. Uh, Let me just say this. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I wrote this uh, pastor's perspective uh, talking about this this calling on our life uh, and the power of the Holy Spirit that's calling on our life. And, and to share Christ and that sort of stuff. And I, and I wrote this article and I kind of made this play off of uh, the, the highway US-1. 
Did, did any of y'all happen to read that article? I, I just leave it. I'm, I, in my mind's eye, I'm like, oh, every single one of them hung on every single word I wrote. I'm sure they did. So don't burst my bubble. But I wrote uh, on uh, making this play off US-1 because US-1 is a you know, major highway, runs up and down the eastern seaboard, happens to come right through uh, the city of Raleigh. And so I was just thinking about it. And I think well, the, the U- US-1 and this highway and this going. And I thought, that's, that's us. Uh, US, that's us. Us. One. We're one body. We've got one calling. And it is to make the name of Jesus famous. And, and in that article, I, I mentioned just three things. There's lots of stuff we could say about it and can probably add to it. But in there, I just mentioned a couple things. I, I said, what, what, if this, what if us, each of us, took up this one challenge. What if, what if I gave out one iVite card a week? Do you have them with you? You carry them with you? Your iVite cards? We, we got them right out there. When you go out this morning, you can pick up a pack of seven. What if I said, you know, seven days. Surely I can find somebody at Walmart, somebody that, that I, where I eat dinner, a neighbor, I can, a co-worker, I can find somebody and I can hand them a card and say, listen, I don't know if you go to church anywhere, but, but Cross Culture Church, we just think God's uh, going to do some great things. We'd love to have you come and be a part of it. And just hand them a card one? One a week? Could I do that? Yeah, you could do that. Will you do that? Will I do that? Becomes the question. One I invite card, one guest. What if you brought one guest to our, our resurrection Easter Sunday services? You got one person. I know it's hard. It's hard, right? These days, a lot of folks aren't interested in church. But what if you brought one person? Jesus, Kimberly. I'm not picking on them. I'm just, they just came to my mind. I saw them. What if we brought one person? I'm no math genius, but I'm pretty sure that will double the size of, of number here right now. What about one national or international mission opportunity? What a coincidence. We just happen to have one of each this year. One to Boston, one to Peru. And if your first thought is, I could not go to Peru, why? You got an app on your phone right now. You can get one and it'll translate for you. And we'll have translators with us, by the way. I don't have the money. I know who does. Will you trust him? Will you commit and say, I'll go. I'm going to go get my passport. going to apply for it tomorrow. I'll go. Will you go to Boston? The Hopkins will already be up there, I think, by that time. They're, they're trying to reach a city of millions. Will you go to Boston for a week and say, I can hang out? It's sleeping, yes, sleeping in the road's basement. But hey, what of it? I've slept in worse places. Not that their basement is a terrible place. I've never, never seen it. I'm just saying, what would, it take, what would it take to say, hey, all of us, one. I can do one. I can give out an iVite card a week. I can get one person to come Easter services. I can, I can at least prayerfully consider going on one national or international trip. That's just a start, right? Because we've got the, the supernatural catalyst. We've got the calling. Scripture's clear about that. You shall be my witnesses. So you pick whether you're going to be a good one or a bad one. And, we, and we've got... The, this, this, this motivation in our life. The coming of Jesus Christ. He's coming back. He keeps us going out. You get those three, we got straight C's right there. That's just a start. But we're well on our way to being a great church. We'll do that. The catalyst is God's power. The calling is God's command. And the coming is the promise of God's return. If the church is going to be great, from God's perspective, we must have His power. We can't do what He wants us to do in our own power. Also, we must obey His command to take the message of Jesus to the world around us. People all around us, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, and people all over the world are lost without a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
A great church has to care about where people will spend eternity. We can't make up excuses or ignore our responsibility. And we must be anticipating Jesus' coming back. Without question, the return of Christ was a major motivational factor in the first century church, and it should be in the church in the 21st century. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting. If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.